Father, we just thank you. We just thank you. We just thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for a new day, Lord. New mercies, Lord. Everything is new, Lord, today. We can begin new today, Lord. We just thank you. We just thank you, Lord. You are the only one who makes all these things possible, Lord. You make it possible because of your love for your children. We just thank you, Father, for your incredible love, Lord. Unbelievable love, Father, but it's still true. We just thank you, we just thank you, we just thank you, Lord. As we come back to the meditation, the study of the Word of God, we continue to pray that we will, through the study, grow in the knowledge of Christ. That's the purpose. To that image you are trying to conform all of us to. Help us, Lord, today. Commit the church offline, online, everyone into thy hands. Everyone who are tuned in now will be tuned in later. I pray your word will continue to establish us in grace, O Lord. We just thank you, Father. We just thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So we go to Revelation chapter 3. We are looking at the fifth church. Though it's a fifth church, there's no grace there. <laughs> no, doesn't begin with a commendation, but begins with a severe indictment. To the angel of the church in Sardis, write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you, can, you have received and heard, hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is how it Ends. Like we say, just six verses, but very, very, I would say harsh, but God is never unnecessarily harsh, okay? So we go back to this church and let's see what God is trying to tell us and not to them. They're gone, but we are alive. In life, we say, we say, and it's true, there are three fundamentals to physical life whether it is man or beast. Okay? Three fundamental essentials to life. The first in order, foremost, is air. The second is water. And the third is food. 
usually they come in three different forms in which matter exists. Okay. Their importance is also connected with time. Average man cannot last without air for more than two or three minutes. Some people have been trained to hold, but average man. An average man cannot live without water for more than, they say, three days. An average man cannot live without food for more than, let us say, 40 days. That's that number, no 40 days fasting. Some people can more, but... So there are three, what we call fundamentals, essentials to life. One is air, the most important. Second is water, and third is food. Of which air is the only thing that we cannot see. That's why the Holy Spirit is called air or ruha or breath. Breath is not the action. Breath is what we are inhaling in the air. Okay? So if we look, if you look here, why did this church, one part of the church is dead and the rest is dying? Okay? And the reason is, it happens to all of us, even today. We lose slowly, slowly and ultimately the sight of the spiritual realm. The spirit realm, the spiritual realm, which is the eternal realm. The material realm is not eternal. It is temporal. And what happens is spiritual atrophy sets in. That's how people die. That's how people die. That's how churches die. Okay. So when Jesus says, like for example in John 6 and verse 63, okay, John 6 and verse 63, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. We read it, we memorize it, and we forget it. But the most important part in that is spirit. Where the spirit is not there, there is no life. So, both the preacher and the hearer has to focus on the Holy Spirit, because he brings life. He brings life. Okay. If you go to Second Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Again, we come back to the spirit. The spirit gives life. Now if you come to First Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 12 onwards, okay, there are two spirits here. We have, but we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. Because the spirit of the world we did not receive. We were born with it. Born, we did not receive. Whether we receive or not, it came into us. We were born in, with that kind of a spirit into the world, that is the spirit of the world. But what we received is the spirit who is from God. Why is the spirit being given? So that we may know the things which are in the spiritual realm, the eternal realm, which God has given to us. Okay, so the spirit of the world, that is Satan, what he does is that he causes us to focus on the temporal and the material. 
okay temporal and the material the spirit of god will always try to take us back to the eternal the unseen the eternal because he'll keep telling us that is what is real and that is what you are ultimately going one way or other you are going there ultimately so keep in the eternal like parents when they talk about uh, this encourage or exhort or rebuke their children they are always talking about the thing that is unseen but in the temporal unseen in the temporal if you don't study well this is what will happen to you one day so always in the unseen okay they do not know whether the child will you know some of the kids who never studied have done very well but they they will look at the average and they say this is what will happen to you but you will always notice the focus is always on the temporal it's never on the eternal it is the spirit of the world it's always focusing on the temporal it is not focusing on the eternal so if you come further down towards 13 to 15 these things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches okay okay so man's and the holy spirit both use words both use with what words we cannot communicate to communicate we need words we need words okay in which man's wisdom teaches but which the holy spirit teaches but how does the holy spirit use words comparing spiritual things with the spiritual now that is a very dangerous thing that was the problem dangerous thing is a scary thing that's why when jesus was teaching he taught and nobody understood but what he was teaching was so simple very very simple okay and he is telling which is so easy for us now because we have experienced it but nicodemus did not experience it so he is not understanding what is this talking about being born again what is this what are you talking about how can i go back to my mother's womb and be born again okay like to us it's a very simple thing comparing spiritual things with spiritual when you come to verse 14 the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of god for they are foolishness to him nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned but he who is spiritual judges all things and he himself is rightly judged by no one so but things a spiritual man is always judging how does he judge all things by bringing eternity in it that's how he judges all things if i make this decision what it will cost me in eternity because that's how people make temporal decisions also there are options class 10 is over options are that if i choose option a group 1 group 2 group 3 group 4 in our day there were four groups 1 2 3 4 one was math physics science two was biology physics science three was arts and fourth was commerce you made these four choices up before that and you made very you know, thought out process you asked others advised you you asked and you made these choices under 1 2 3 4 5. simple example but in the same way we need to realize the spiritual man makes every decision when he becomes spiritual you don't become spiritual one day but you can become spiritual there's no time limit on that you can become spiritual we see joseph being a father at 30 not physically but spiritually he is a father at 30 and he's able to make extremely wise decisions 
see people like Daniel. So everybody is counting the cost. Okay. So if you look at Daniel, when he's probably 16 or 17 years, when he's brought to the Babylonian court, along with the other sons of Judah, the others are making a decision. If we eat of this and be part of this and do not offend the man, the eunuch who's in charge, we can rise in this world. Daniel and his three friends are also looking at the same table and says, if we eat of this day, we will lose eternally with our God. So it was a very spiritual decision, an eternal decision. It was not a temporal decision. Because temporally you should eat. It's good for you to eat. Eternally it is bad for you to eat. So this is what the Bible is talking about. He who is spiritual judges all things. Yet because he is living in the midst of carnal or soulish men, they are not able to judge his decisions. Decisions. You need to understand that is why visions, dreams, prophecies and certain gifts, not all gifts, certain gifts, like the word of knowledge, the spirit of discernment, are all very scary. Very scary. Because they are coming from the other side. Though people want it, to hear it, yet there is always a fear attached to it. If I believe it and take a decision, what will happen to me? Okay? There is always a fear attached to these things. Though we long, we long. That's why in the carnal world, the non-believing world, they all go to astrologers and every basically I want to know something from the other side so that I can make my decisions. Okay? So believers run after prophecy, prophecy, prophecy. All has got to do is something from the unseen realm coming in. And if you look at the beginning of Joseph, if you look at the beginning of Joseph, Joseph is around 17 or 16. We don't have the exact timeline. He was around, let us say, 17 years old. That's when he has his two sets of dreams. And you need to realize, he's the only one who in that only household of believers on planet Earth who's able to receive something from the other realm. And it upsets everybody, including his father. His father was upset with the second dream. Everybody got upset. Because something is coming from there. And if you look at the prophetic picture of it, it is talking about something that is eternal. Though in his case it was temporal, the actual picture it is eternal. If you continue the way you are, this is what will happen to you. You will overcome. You will rule forever. Okay? And it upsets everybody. And none of them are able to judge him correctly, including his father. So God is talking about pictures because we know why. Because this is the issue. This is the issue. So it comes from a realm, a different realm. It's an unknown, unseen realm. Unknown, unseen realm. Remember in that unknown, unseen realm, there are both things. There is truth, that is from God. There are lies, that is from the devil. If there is only truth in that realm, we don't have to fear. Okay. If there is only lies in the realm, again we don't have to fear. We can just reject it. But the problem is, it is not that. There is truth and there is lies. And the problem with the liar is, he comes like truth. That is the problem. If you only came as, if Satan comes every time like the way he's pictured in movies, this thing and all, then everybody will know that is Satan. But he doesn't come like that. Okay? So that is our problem. Okay? 
So we need to understand there is this invitation in the new covenant. It's a very powerful. We saw that last week also. Powerful invitation to specifically two places, but in many other places. Like in, we don't have to go there. Hebrews 4.16 and Hebrews 10.90. There is an invitation to come to the holy of holies. But most people, believers, good believers are scared to go there. Because if you go there, you lose control. Because if you go there, you hear, you have to take a decision. So they are comfortable in the holy place. Holy place is a very comfortable place for good Christians. It's a very comfortable place because you still have control over your life. And you have the backing of scripture to support you. You don't have the backing of the Holy Spirit to support you. You have the backing of scripture to support you. Okay, we need to understand now. We can need to ask this question because one of the things that disturbed me very much in the morning is that when I was meditating upon this and I was asking the Lord, Lord, we have just covered five. I know the other two churches also of these seven. Which do you think we are closest to? He said Sardis. So GDC Hyderabad, he says Sardis because you have, you have a reputation. You have a reputation. You have a reputation. But the reputation is not true. Reputation is not true. Okay? So we can be very comfortable because we preach all through the week. Messages are going on left, right. We pray all the time, seven days a week. We pray. We have our reputation. And then things happen in all our other churches. Well, leave that alone. What about headquarters? What is the truth about headquarters? Don't tell me about GTC Egypt. Don't tell me about GTC New York. Don't tell me about GTC Afghanistan. Don't tell me about any of the GTC. Let's ask ourselves the question, what is the truth about GTC Hyderabad? That is what I need to ask. You know? All that is not giving you a comfort when you stand before the judgment seat. None of that is going to give us any comfort. Oh, look at all. Don't worry. They will all stand before me separately. You are not going to stand. All of you are not going to stand together. So we need to ask serious questions because we are not in the process of gathering knowledge. It's only puffs up. It only makes us very proud because of our knowledge. We spout scripture. We breathe scripture. We drink. But that is irrelevant. That is irrelevant. So God is talking about, you know what? There is only one place we are actually in the new covenant ultimately called to live in. That is the holy of holies. That is why the curtain. That was the entire purpose of redemption. So that man could come and live with God again and walk with God and enjoy him. That was the whole purpose. Okay. So you will see, this is our issue. This is our issue. So what is the essence of truth is that God is a spirit. And the kingdom of God is primarily spiritual. We saw about the first Adam and the last Adam. First Adam was a life-giving soul. We are comfortable with that. The second Adam is a life-giving spirit and that is scary. That is scary. Okay. So you will see both with extremely qualified Nicodemus and unqualified Samaritan woman, if at the core of what God is telling to both of them is that God is a spirit. To Nicodemus he says, unless you are born of the spirit, you cannot see or enter. To the other lady he tells her, unless God is a spirit and God is looking for worshippers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And we understand truth is spiritual. 
It's not the letter. It is spiritual. So suddenly we see something is changing over here and that's the issue with Sardis. If you come to chapter 3 and verse 1 and 2. These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and seven, that's where the spirit is brought there. Understand the introduction. Who is brought over there? The Holy Spirit is brought over there. Okay. And he says, I know your works. You have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. And in verse 2, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. So in two verses, what is brought there? Death is brought there. In both verses, 1 and 2, what is brought there is death. So the simple question to ask is at a personal level, at a corporate level, why do believers die? Why do churches die? The answer is only one. The answer is sin. The wages of sin is what is death. Okay. So believers or churches die, one, because of sin. That's a primary cause. Or the sin of error, doctrinal error, doctrinal error, no, doctrinal error. Maybe we have a, a doctor sitting here with us. Imagine uh, a patient is, let us say, serious, critical and needs to be given this injection or by IV or whatever. By mistake, the doctor gives a wrong injection, which is dangerous for that. You have, you have to realize medical error has killed many patients. It was sometimes it's intentional, sometimes it's just carelessness. Carelessness. Okay, carelessness. Okay, that's why everything is labeled and kept. And we had these LHL children with us and uh, they had to be given their Caesar medication. So it was all very carefully labeled in case the nurse was in there, somebody else gives it. You should not go wrong because if you go wrong, the child will die. If you delay, the child will die. So the sin of doctrinal error. Remember, doctrinal error is picked out in the other letters. Okay? Or the sin of compromise. It's a sin. The sin of tolerance. Okay? And when you come towards the fifth church, it is the sin of basically, of primarily complacency. You are complacent. What does complacency actually do? First, it kills the will because it becomes a habit. It kills the feelings because you become hard-hearted. Ultimately, it kills the character, which is primarily a manifestation of your mind because it becomes twisted. Okay? It becomes twisted. And we need to realize that is what God is telling about here. Okay, so we need to ask this. We don't think about Sardis, Sardis, Sardis. It is just a name over there. There is no Sardis over. Even the name of Sardis has changed in modern day Turkey. But it's talking to us. It's written for all churches in all times. Okay, so what is the other thing, God, if you come down to verse uh, 3 and 4? Three is enough. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard, hold fast and repent. And now, therefore, if you will not watch. So the basic problem was they were not watchful. 
And the basic problem is we were not watchful. Now let me ask you this question. We heard from uh, Timothy 2.8 yesterday and Pastor Vijay spoke upon four and I couldn't finish the fourth one, which is okay, which is, which is basically talking about faith and we've been hearing about being stable. But how many of us took it seriously? Let me ask you this question. He said yesterday 99, today is 99. Who started fasting? I started. He started. But how many of us took it seriously? 99 days left. 98 days left. That message was for me, not for us. Maybe all of them may be perfect. I am not. I need it. So let me start. 98 days to live it. How many of us took it seriously? Pursuing prayer. Pursuing holiness. Handling anger. And then being stable. Being strong. Being established. The simple question is, if we didn't take it, we are just like sadists. We are not watchful. We are not watchful. Because the thing is that, what I don't want to get caught in the trap is this. Every time I go, we go preach in a church. Yesterday I preached in a church. One of the things which almost every time that happens is once we have preached, the pastor wants your number and says, we will call you, will you come and preach? So what does that tell you about the church? So they were checked. They were confronted. With a very simple message and they realize, you know what, we heard something which we don't have. And the problem is in the process, we start thinking, we have. Now we have a reputation. Now we have a reputation. Okay, now we have a reputation. And we think, because this pastor, that pastor, this pastor, any church you go, they will say, will you come and preach? And the question is, we start getting our reputation. And we start thinking, we have. Then God will come and wake you up in the morning and says, you don't have. You don't have. So the question is, how serious are we with the things that we hear? Right here. Okay. So when it comes over there, you need to realize the danger here. The danger is there. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. When we teach, you know, generally and in the church, we say there are many what we call variables in life. Variables in life. And that is why people take insurance. Insurance, I mean, it's a true thing. You can all cancel. You know, you take, sometimes when you are insuring your house and things, there are certain things which they will not cover. And it's also covered and as an act of God. Okay? So, insurance agencies are also believers. Certain things they will not cover. But most things are covered. Why do we take insurance? Why do we take, even though you don't fall ill, why do you take health insurance? Unforeseen, you may fall ill, it may be critical, it may cost you so much to cover that. Life insurance, uh, health insurance, everything under the sky can be insured. Okay? If you look at Messi and Ronaldo and the other, their legs are insured. It's priceless. 
legs are insured. So you need to realize, but why are their legs insured? Because that is their most important part of their life. That's what they contribute, let us say, to the society. So it's insured. But you are insured because there are variables in life. No certainty is about anything. So we insure. The most uncertain variable in life is this. No man, woman actually knows how much time he has left. That is what Christ is saying here. You don't know how much time you have. I will come upon you as a thief. What is the first thing about a thief? Unexpected. Unforeseen. And he will not know. It will be unexpected and it can be sudden. So what is he talking about? He's talking about death. He's talking about death. Okay. So death is, see, that's why he's saying, don't get complacent about this, about eternity. Don't ever get complacent about eternity because no man knows his day or his hour. And that's what the devil does. What he does is that he gets caught up so much in the temporal, temporal, even believers. Ultimately, the spiritual things that we do become religion. It's not spiritual anymore. Prayer is a spiritual thing, but it doesn't have to be spiritual because everybody prays. Okay? Meditation of the word is supposed to be spiritual, but it can be temporal. It can be temporal. Okay? Fasting is supposed to be a very spiritual exercise, but you are not fasting to humble yourself so that you can prepare to meet your maker, finish your purpose. You are fasting because it adds power to your prayer, which is connected something with breakthrough, we call it, which is in the temporal. Okay, so we need to realize the danger a church is caught in. Because you, if you look at this church, they seem to have everything and yet nothing. They seem to actually have everything and yet they have nothing. Okay, so the first thing God is saying, be watchful. Watchful about what thing is that watch, watchful about. You don't think you have the time you think you have. You know, one of the saddest things is, uh, like, if if you if you, I mean, I shared it before, but this was one of the things which was my concern with my mother, why I fought to keep her alive as long as possible because I knew she needed time, not on this side, but to prepare for the other side. Because as the youngest child and the child who was with the parents for most period, um, among others. I knew what she had gone through. I knew what was in her mind. And I knew the reality of going to the other side unprepared. Unprepared. Because no one should die unprepared. Okay? Unprepared. And God doesn't want anybody to die unprepared. Remember, to Hezekiah, he comes and says, you don't have much time, put your life in order. Okay, he asks for time, he gets time. I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. He should have probably put his time, life in order, allowed God to take him when he was at the best point of his life. In Malayalam, we have a saying, Swaram nannayirikumbol patanarathanam, meaning when your voice is good, stop singing. Not when you start croaking and they remove you from the singing field. 
You know your voice is starting to go. So when you are at the best, you say, I retire. They will always remember you as a great singer. Not once who was great and failed. Okay. So ideally, God wants to take all his children at the best point of their life. But there is something that is unforeseen to the complacent believer. He doesn't know. So he says, watch. 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 Because you know what? You don't know when I will come. In Greek mythology, there were three sisters. One let out the the rope or the thread. That is your life. The second one measured it. The third one cut it. The three sisters. Okay. And in Hindu myth, see all mythologies are the same. Only they come across in different ways. So in Hindu mythology, you have three gods. One who is the giver of life, Brahma. The other one who Vishnu is the sustainer of life. And the third one is Shiva, who is the cuts of the life. So everybody goes after Shiva saying, don't cut my life off. Okay. If you look at, if you look into India, the land of Hinduism, you won't see temples for Brahma. They don't care about you much. You already given now. You can't do anything about it. I am born. I don't need you much. I need the other two, the sustainer and the fellow who will cut it off. Okay? But the problem is that's not how life works. There's only one who gives, only one who sustains, the only one who decides time up. And Jesus says, you be careful. You be careful. Do not die unrepented and unprepared. So if you go to Luke chapter 16 and read from verse 19, 20 and 21, three verses. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of swords, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sword. So there are two people. And the different states of life on the same planet Earth, in the same locality is described. One is rich, so has no care in life. The other is very poor, absolutely poor. So he doesn't think about death. And he thinks about death all the time. The thing is that the fellow who was thinking about death all the time was better prepared for eternity, not the other fellow. That's why we have so many people repenting, believing, getting saved in hospitals. They come because now they are facing. Like we say, I see you. Now I see you. What all the things that were said was true. Now they want prayer. Please pray for me. Now they want to hear scripture. Okay, would you read the Bible for me? Now they are ready because you know what? You are facing something which you ignored. So you have a rich man and you have a poor man. One is eating nicely. He doesn't think about death. The other is starving all the time. So he's always thinking very close to death. Now you come to verse 22 is what is interesting. What happens in verse 22? So it was a beggar died, was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. A rich man also died and was buried. The unexpected happened. But the thing is that the one who was always looking at death was better prepared. Was better prepared. The one who never gave thought to eternity, death 
and therefore eternity. But death is the closure of the temporal and the beginning of eternity. Who never gave a thought about it because he's looking at his temporals because this is an old covenant thing. Everything is going well for me, so I am blessed God is with me. And you're looking at the better, everything is going wrong with him, therefore God is not with him. But that is not how life worked. So suddenly there is a full stop. On earth, there is a full stop. Rich man, full stop. Beggar, full stop. But on the other side, there was a difference. Completely difference. This is what God is telling the church in Sardis. What is he telling the church in Sardis? He says, be careful. Be careful. Be watchful. Be watchful. Awake. So the first thing he is telling them is, awake. Okay, you are asleep. Awake. Be watchful. Because what happening? Eternity will come when you least expect. Okay, if you come to verse 1. I know he says you have a one and two. You have a reputation of, uh, you have a name that you are alive but you are dead. Be watchful. What does it mean? Awake. Wake up. Wake up. Okay. If you look at the Jonah incident, all the unbelievers were awake and crying when a calamity hit them. The believer had become complacent. Okay. If you look at all the unbelievers of any religion, you go to any religion, any, we call them unbelievers. They are not unbelievers in the sense they do not believe in the real God. But they are believers. Believers. If you look at the Hindu, as he grows older and older, he's going on every pilgrimage. Okay? If you go to the Muslim, he wants to go as many times for Mecca before he dies. If you go to Bhutan, everywhere they have prayer wheels, every shop, everywhere prayer wheels. It is that. You people probably do not understand some of the cards which you go in the Tibetan yeah. script it is written. It's a mantra. I know the mantra by heart, okay? I'm not repeating it here before, okay? It's a mantra. Okay? Now, if you go to walk through the sit towns or the city of Thimpu in Bhutan, you will see the old people will go around turning the wheels. Okay? Turning the wheels. What has happened? Death is getting close. Death is getting close. Okay. But the question is, what about the Christian? What about the Christian? Okay. The one who actually claims to know the living God. Okay. Who is called to serve his God from youth to his old age, promises are from birth to old age, I'm the carrying all these things. The question is, what happens to us? Okay, so God is reminding about something. He says, you know what? Your life is in my hands. You don't know when I will come. That is why the word thief, thief means unexpected. What hour? Suddenly. Suddenly. It will be, you will suddenly be transported from here and you will be standing before me. If you stand before him. So if you look at Ephesus and Sardis, if Ephesus lacked love, Sardis lacked life. Okay? So God is telling their first thing he is telling over there in verse 2. He says, you know what you need to be? Be watchful. Awake. 
awake. First thing is awake. Okay, awake. Because if you don't wake up, what can you do? Okay, so we pray for an awakening. Okay, the other word that is used consistently in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament is arise. See, sitting there and knowing everything is irrelevant. Ultimately, like when I was teaching yesterday in that church, I was telling there are four sides of of faith. The first, of course, is hearing. Okay, hearing. Then you have to believe what you hear. Then you have to confess what you believe. And then fourth, you have to do. There's always an action. Always an action. This completes the equation. And you have to look into this four and say, what is missing? What is missing? Okay. Sometimes the missing action is being still. Being still in God's word is an action. When you are compelled to act and mess up what God wants to do. So be still and know that I am God. And people don't be still. Okay. Abraham should have been just still. God gave a promise. It spoke to my husband. That's fine. Now you know what? It's going to happen. We will be still. She didn't be. She wasn't still. It is not that they did not hear. It is not that they did not believe. It is not that they did not confess. But the action went wrong. What was the action that was demanded there was inaction. Be still. Don't do anything. It's very difficult to tell people, can you just be still? You see about a drowning man who doesn't know how to swim. The swimmer, the coach will, the, the, the lifeguard won't save him until his strength is all over and finished and is ready to die. Then he will come and pull him. Otherwise, he'll pull him also down. Pull him also down. Okay. So we need to realize God is saying, first, awake. Wake up. Awake, let there be a spiritual awakening. We are praying. See, America wants a political solution. America wants an economic solution. America wants a military solution. All these are being offered. And President Trump will come, he will bring a political solution. You have a strong man at the top. He will change the economic, put sanctions back, bring industries back, they will have economical. Then he will send, if needed, the army down into Mexico to shut down the economy. All this. But all of this is useless unless the country is spiritually awakened. So when the church, when we even pray for these things, our primary focus is this. The church needs a, the America needs a spiritual awakening. And it is happening in many, many places. It is happening. Okay? You look at it, it's like Revelation 22. The liberals are becoming more liberal. The conservatives are becoming more conservative. Okay? It is happening over there. It is happening. But we need an awakening. So the beginning of everything is God says, is you need a spiritual awakening. We are looking for a temporal, material solution. God says, you know what, I can give you all that. You will still die. You may die faster. Okay, you may die faster. But what you need is a spiritual awakening. So God says, awake. Awake. And then he says, strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. Okay, so the second word he uses over there, he's, he says, is strengthen. Strengthen means to mix, to fix, to make fast, to establish. Strengthen. If you look at Luke chapter 22, verse 31 and 32, when Jesus see predicting, true prediction, 
prophesied. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. You will fail. You will fail. But your faith should not fail. Your faith in me should not fail. And when you have returned to me, what is faith that does not fail? That even when you fall, you go back to him. You need to understand. We will fall. We will fall. Maybe lesser and lesser or some cases more and more. We will fall. But what is faith that does not fail? Is a faith that will always return to him because you know he is my advocate. He is not my prosecutor. He is there to help me, not to harm me. He is there to justify me, not to condemn me. He is there for me and not against me. Therefore you go. That is the faith. Faith is always rooted in a person. So when we are called to say, grow in the knowledge, like when we, I was teaching yesterday, today when I said, this woman is a woman with a 12 issue, they were celebrating 12 months, so there is a 12 year old girl who is dying, at a woman who is older dying with an issue which she has 12 years of uh, issue of blood, and she heard about Jesus. She had gone all to the physicians, she lost her money, she lost her or lost her uh, health and she is dying. That's when she heard about Jesus. And the fact of the matter is, all of us have an issue with blood. The Adamic blood that is flowing through us is what is killing us. Okay, It's killing us. Every one of us have an issue of blood. But the point is that she heard about Jesus. The question is, what did she hear about Jesus? That is why we have to be very, very careful. When people hear about Jesus from us, what is that they first hear about Jesus? Not his power, but his compassion. Otherwise, people will not come to Jesus. Power is what is common with all the gods in this world. What is uncommon about our God is his love. That is why she came to Jesus. First thing, the word of God is gone. He heals and is very good. He really heals who? Everybody. Everybody. Leper also. Really? Leper also? He touched him? Yes, the word has gone out. He's an extremely kind compassionate. He doesn't discriminate with the rich and the poor. He's extremely loving. That's the first thing she hears. Second thing, he's not just loving. I told you, he's not just all-powerful. It doesn't give me much hope, but that is all-powerful and all-loving. That is what gives me hope. You have from his birth onwards, that is what he's trying to see. Any man from any strata of society has access to him. So he's born in Bethlehem in a manger. You can come to me. Anybody rich also can. Only you have to bend a little. Poor can come in freely. Okay. So she heard about him. Okay. So that is the faith that does not fail. The faith that does not fail is centered around the person of God revealed through the Son. Remember, nobody knows God. The only person who knows God is the Son and the Spirit. They are the only ones who know God. So the Son, through the Spirit, reveals the Father. That is what he came for. He says, you know what, I'm just the way. The destination is Father. And once you know the Father, you are still. So we are talking about fatherlessness. But the actual thing is, God is trying to restore that. He says, once you know actually God as your Father, everything is solved. Everything is solved. Okay? Everything is solved in your life because you have known God as a Father. So the challenge to men is basically, okay, go through this process of child to youth and Lord, help me to reflect 
the Father. Help me to reflect. You know what? So that what do I bring in the life of the people to whom I live around and minister to security? I bring, not insecurity, I bring security to your life. I bring security to your life. So he says, I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, what should you do? Strengthen your brethren. How can Peter strengthen believers? Let me ask you this question. There is Jacob. There is Joseph. Who strengthens you? Jacob. Joseph is a paradigm. Keep him up there. But there are very few Josephs in whole human history. Yes, you should aspire. Try to train up a child to become like Joseph, but always give room. Remember the God of Jacob. If a man could goof up, that was Jacob in Genesis. But he finished well. If a man could goof up, it was David, but he finished well. Finished well. So Peter, I know you will fail. You will fail. You made all these great, great decisions, even if everybody forsakes me, I will not. You will fail. But your faith should not fail. You should be able to come back to me, because you have known who I am. You should not be afraid to come back. That's why God keeps telling, come boldly, come boldly. Don't be afraid, don't be afraid. I am not the kind of God most people talk about. I am not that person. You can come to me. Receive mercy and give grace so that you don't fail in that area again. Don't be scared to come to me. Don't be scared to come to me. Once you come back to me, what should you do? Strengthen your brethren so that you tell them, this is who God is. This is God is. Failures can go back. Sinners can go back. The sick can go back. The reprobate also can go back. As long as there is life, there is hope. Because God did not send his son to condemn the world. He sent his son to save the world. Strengthen. Okay? In Romans chapter 1 and verse 11, Paul expresses his desire to go to Rome. I long to see you that I may impart to you some gift so that you may be established. Okay. See, this is, this is, this is important. This is important. Okay. Because many, many people, when they visit you, they weaken you. That's okay. You should be strong enough to carry their weaknesses and send them back strong. But the purpose is this. This should be our motive. Lord, when I meet somebody, help me to impart something that makes him or her stronger. Nobody should go from my presence discouraged and depressed. When somebody has come to my presence and gone, if they go back depressed, it's only because they refuse to receive my words. I remember a pastor telling me, a pastor, I went and met this person. The person received me very well, great hospitality, but not received any of my words. So my visit was useless. visit to us useless. Okay? Remember, you can receive that person and reject his words. When Jesus was talking about, it was not talking about the person. He says he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. What did they reject? His words. They rejected the message. They received it. Everybody flocked around. 
Thousands and thousands. They went through there, everything, and said, Hosanna, Hosanna, the son of David. Grand welcome they gave to Jerusalem. But they did not receive his words. Receive his words. So we need to understand what does it mean. Okay, we need, because these are things which we are understanding. You know, the Lord, because the world is full of depression and discouragement, the last days. And let me, Lord, not add to it. Let me not add to it. Let me also not make people unnecessarily fearful. Because our God is not like the other gods with showing all his teeth and claws and all. He is this gentle savior hanging on the cross. That is a picture you have of no God of this world. The picture, the physical picture we have of our God itself is, you don't see this anywhere. Where do you see? In which religion? Past or present do you see that picture? So it's just, so when you tell people, look at the cross, they will say, what? I say, that's my God. And we don't have to be ashamed of that God. Okay? That's what the point. So we want to strengthen. So remember, wake up. And strengthen. If you go to First Thessalonians chapter three and verse two, sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith. Why? Because Thessalonica church in Thessalonica is going through tremendous affliction and persecution because of their faith. Because the Bible says in their affliction they received the gospel with, with joy. But you know what? The joy can be short-lived if your faith is not strengthened. Okay, it can be short-lived. So he said, you know what I have done? I have sent Timothy to you. We have sent Timothy, who is our brother, God's fellow worker, in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. Please understand, because when we read scripture, we will understand it. If you come to Second Thessalonians, and chapter two and verse seventeen again, chapter two and verse seventeen, to encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. That's why children, especially children, need a lot of encouragement. Okay, because you know, the deed they do, because we told them, is a good deed. But they don't see any virtue in it. They don't see any virtue. Do your homework. But they will do it because you told them to do it. Okay, okay. They don't see the virtue in it. The maturity is when you start seeing virtue in every deed. Okay, that person does not have to be encouraged. That person will do it whether it is told or not, encouraged or discouraged. He will continue doing it because he understood the meaning of life. Okay, but children are not like that. They do this thing. Okay, hello, you did homework today. Fantastic, you are good. Good, daddy is very happy. Okay, you encourage them in every good deed and word. You encourage them. You strengthen them. What What does encouragement do? It strengthens you. Okay, the child is not not remembering the hardship of the homework. Now remembering the compliment of the father and it's full of joy. So next day when you tell them to do the homework, his mind is on, you know what, yesterday when I did it, daddy was so happy. And a spiritual principle is actually happening in their hearts. What do I, it's more blessed to give than to receive. 
And there, they, this is how you unconsciously put in kingdom principles into children's life. So you know what to do. You will say they are men pleasers. Yeah, it is good as long as a man is right. Who the man is is what matters. Matters. Okay, who the man is that matters. Okay, that's how children children learn to please their parents, as long as the parents are kosher. Please their parents, and ultimately the child is being pointed more and more to Christ, and he becomes somebody who pleases God, pleases Christ. Okay, ultimately that is our whole motive. What is the whole purpose behind faith? We want to please God. But the question is, how can you please whom you cannot see when you have never pleased the one you could see? How does a child? And you need to realize most of the young people in the church are struggling because they never taught to please whom they could see. If you look at most of the people in our own church, do you know what is the common factor about every one of them? They are fatherless. They come from homes or settings where they did not have a very strong father figure. Almost most of them. Therefore you see them struggling. They may have mother figures, but they never had a father figure. And when the problem with children who grow up with mother figures and not father figures is after a point they will not listen to their mother. They will not listen to their mother. They will just, ah, it's okay. Okay. So you need to realize what is happening over here. We have to look because we need a diagnosis. What is the problem? So God is giving them the problem. Solution. He said, like Pastor Vijay said, he's a problem solver. He said, this is your problem. Your problem is you have a reputation. You're very happy with your reputation, but you're not coming to me. If you had come to me, I told you your reputation is false. Don't get so satisfied with your reputation. Now you need to move into something, a reputation that is true. A reputation itself you cannot stop. If people good speak good about you, you cannot stop if you were good. Hmm? Okay. You cannot stop it. Okay, no, please don't say good about me. I'm a very worthless word, bad man. No, that's not the fact. But the question is, is the reputation true? Is it true? He says the problem with you, you have a reputation. The problem is not with the reputation. The problem is it is false. It is false. You have a reputation that you are alive. When in reality, you are a corpse. You are dead. Okay, so he says, you know what? You need to strengthen. First thing is that you have to wake up. You have to wake up. And you have to strengthen. If you come to First Peter chapter 5 and verse 10. 5 and verse 10. The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. See, everything in the new covenant especially was written for this purpose. Stay on the course, stay on the course, stay on the cross, grow deeper, deeper, stronger, stronger. You need to go deep and you need to go up. And you're going up is dependent upon how deep your foundations are, how strong your foundations are. You need to have a faith that will be ultimately be unshakable, immovable. So God says a believer's life is completely different from an unbeliever's life. I will send you storm after storm after storm so that you will know how you react. And when you look at your own reaction, look in the face of the mirror, look at your own reaction, you need to realize you are not strong. 
I did not send this storm to destroy you. I send this storm so that you may know. You may know so that you can become strong, firm and steadfast. Okay? So, that is where stability comes from. Stability comes from that. Okay? So, God is saying what? You need to strengthen. Okay? Strengthen. If you go to Revelation 3, you know, strengthen. Three to know strengthen what the things which remain remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Look at verse three also, two and three together. That's important. Okay, verse three. Remember therefore how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. That means they have heard and received the right things. See, uh, if Ephesus did not once love God with that kind of passion, what you call the first love, that passion, you cannot tell them, do the, go back. If the church has not received absolutely correct teaching about what a believer is, God will not say, you know what, what you received and heard. Received and heard. He says the fundamentals are still there, remaining, it's still there. You haven't lost it. It is there. It is there. Okay? That's what he's talking about. So you need to realize these things are important. Okay? So that's basically we also as a church try to do, which most people ignore, is that we put old messages up. On a Monday, Tuesday, on a Wednesday, on a Thursday, on a Friday, Saturday. If you listen to the old messages, it's just a reminder of things which you know. You know. Until your heart is established. Certain things you have to hear it over and over and over and over and over until it is established. He says, you have received. You have heard. So they needed to be reminded. You cannot be reminded of something which you haven't heard. Okay? So if you have to be reminded, you should have heard it. So they have heard it. And they have received it. Now God says, you know what, one thing, it's, it's going. You're losing your grip. You're losing your grip over these things. He says, now go back and first hold fast to the foundational teachings you received, the fundamental things you received. Now hold fast. Because those things have stopped having effect on you. It is there. But it's not giving you life. Now you go back to it and hold fast. Okay? Go back to it and it's literally like the church in Ephesus. You had your first love. You have fallen from the gate. You are not aware how great because you are so busy looking at your activities. But you need to realize, I look at your activities, they are all good. I am not saying your activities are bad. But one thing I know, your heart is not in it. Your heart is not there in it. You are like a mechanical wife. Doing everything right. What did I do wrong? Absolutely, you didn't do anything wrong. Or a mechanical husband. Everything you do is absolutely according to the book. But your heart is not in it. And sometimes people do not understand when people are saying, what did I do wrong? The actual thing is that you cannot point at one thing they did wrong. Everything they did by the book, it is right. But one thing you know, the heart is not in it. And God is not looking for us to do things by the book. He is saying, is your heart there? 
That is what happened to the church in Ephesus. Your heart is not there. Go back. Otherwise, you see everywhere this warning. I will come and remove the lampstand. I will come and fight with you with the word sword of my mouth. I will come upon you like a thief and you won't even know when I come. We call it threats, but they are threats. Okay. God is threatening. Okay, you wanna, you wanna use that word, but the fact of that it, it does sound, it is a threat. Okay. So you need to understand, Hosea 4.6, you don't have to go over there, it's not the problem here. In Hosea 4.6, my people perish because of lack of knowledge. There is no issue of ignorance here, they know. They know. They need to go back to the things they have studied. The simple thing is that what has happened is, they have become complacent. The world has, like we say, the problem is not the boat in the water. The problem is when the boat, water gets into the boat. As long as the boat was in the water, Jesus was asleep. The disciples were not bothered. Let him sleep. It is conversation, poor man. He must be really tired. Let him sleep well. Shh, Peter, don't talk so loudly. Row gently. Let him sleep. Then the storm came. The water started getting into the boat. And their conversation changed. Now why is he sleeping? Is he sleeping? Don't you care for us? Okay? So you need to realize when the water gets into the word, conversation changes. But that is a problem. Okay? Life changes. So the problem is not that the church in Sardis was in the world because every church is in the world. The problem in Sardis was the world got into the church. Okay? For 300, almost 300 years of the church history, the church was good. The church was on the run. The church were dying and standing for their convictions. There were only two kinds of people, either who, who died for their faith or gave up their faith. There was no third category. Okay, who gave up their faith, it's too much for me, they gave up their faith or they died for their faith. And then the Roman emperor became Christian. As soon as the Roman emperor became Christian, suddenly everybody became Christian because it was good to be a Christian. Okay, that's when I go preach, especially it's difficult to preach to those kind of people. I tell them very clearly when I go to Malaysia and all these people, I say, be very sure. I know you. I know where you have come from. I know your religion. Because once I was part of that religion, be sure you have not just changed your religion. You have received a person. You have forsaken all religion. Be very careful because it is very easy for dharam parivartan. You can go from here to there and here to there because all you changed was your clothes. The person never changed. It's easy to, religion is like clothes. You can change your clothes according to the situation. No, so the, if you are a complacent Christian who is never a Christian, when he's among the Hindus, he's just like a Hindu. You'll celebrate all their festivals, dance with them, very young. They say you are a very nice Christian. The minute he goes to the Middle East, he's like a Muslim. He fits in everywhere. But that's not what a Christian is. He's extremely peculiar and extremely loving. You cannot be peculiar, intolerant of people. Then you become a Pharisee. Pharisee was peculiar and intolerant. He couldn't handle anybody. Okay, so what do they do? They close their eyes and they walk and the number of bumps shows your spirituality. 
okay now we need to be very very careful about this because this is what will happen what happened to sardis they became just like the world around them so they are why is there no persecution in sardis because there is no threat from sardis why is some churches never persecuted never persecuted because that church is neither a threat to satan nor to the world so the world leaves them alone if something happens to them it is by mistake goes to put a cross outside they looked at it and thought you were original and stoned you and then realized sorry sir sorry sir we didn't realize we didn't realize we didn't realize okay we didn't know okay it, it was not meant for you we need to understand this is the things that happens okay so in the persecuted church the pressure is to give up smarna be faithful even unto death in the free world the persecution the pressure is to give in not to give up it's to give in give in the pressure is different it's not to give up your faith just just why do you have to be so radical why do you have to be so radical and it happens everywhere it starts with a family it starts with a family let us say a nominal family the husband gets saved all hell breaks breaks loose why did you have to change life was so good before you changed or the wife changes it becomes her husband goes haywire goes haywire or her father and mother are not changing a child changes that's the most difficult a child changes this child is caught in this trap obey your parents honor your father and mother the problem is the father doesn't honor god the mother doesn't honor god the child does what is the first thing the father and the mother pour cold water over the child don't be radical don't be too spiritual don't be they cut it off and very child very few children have the strength to sustain that kind of thing and they they fall away very fast they fall away okay they fall away they they follow see this is basically what is happening to joseph why do you think god took joseph out of that home because if he served if he stayed in that home his dreams will die in his home because there are 12 10 plus one father and three mothers ready to kill his dreams father won't let him go anywhere because the father is caught in a love which is not about joseph which is about him and his love for rachel So lots of parents will not release their children because if you don't release your children they will not learn because they will fail oh no my child should never fail release them they will never grow otherwise okay so god has given a dream to this young man and this young man will never become that man of the dreams if he is not taken out of that house and then he becomes that young man the simple thing if you want to get somebody to swim throw him into the water you can teach him everything about swimming and this is move your hand this is butterfly and this is the you don't throw him into the water he will never learn never learn okay why do these children especially in this west these children learn to swim very fast you have to see the father the mother the baby put their hand they direct throw the baby into the water and before you know the baby is flying like a duck and it was learns our children 18 years old 20 years old doesn't know how to swim ayo papa if you go into the water you will drown 
This is true about about children. People, why don't people grow? Because we will not allow them to grow. Okay, allow them to grow. Okay, this is what God is talking about. He says, "You received, you heard, you got it." Now, what do you need to do? Wake up and strengthen. Wake up and strengthen. I guess today, Monday, Sunday night, we will, we will, we will, we will go into one of the most doctrinal passages in the Bible. All of the Bible. If you actually, the Old Covenant people never understood the new Old Covenant because the Old, old Covenant was a shadow. And the substance was the New Covenant. Okay? The New Covenant. Let us, uh, I'll put you across in this uh, way so that you'll understand. It's kind of humorous. Imagine before Noah built the ark. Everybody is walking around with an umbrella. Won't you laugh? They don't know what rain is. Right? They don't know what rain is. Everybody is walking around with an umbrella. So the old covenant was a shadow. The substance was the new covenant. When the new covenant is come, then suddenly people are seeing, hey, this life is just a mist. It's a vapor. Eternity is coming. Real life is coming. There is a day of judgment. Many will awaken. Some to everlasting contempt. To everlasting glory. Perish. Paradigm has shifted. So though the whole Bible was written to prepare, first prepare man for repentance, to salvation, to eternity, the most powerful doctrinal statement is given in Second Peter. Okay, if you go to verse 1. Okay, verse 1. Simon Peter, a bond servant, apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us. First statement, he says, I'm writing only to believers. See, the problem is some much of teachings get wasted in the church and it is actually not wasted. Because many of the people sitting in the church are not saved. Even in our church, they are not saved. Even if they are baptized, they are not saved. Because saved people have symptoms which will show they are saved. They are not saved. And the problem with Sardis, I do believe, is that lot of non-believers have become part of Sardis and they have occupied places in the church. They are in the worship team, they are in the prayer team, they are in everything. That's why Jesus says you have a reputation of being alive, but you are actually dead. But among you, there are some who are alive. But because of this closeness to the cops, you are also starting to smell like death. So you are also, if you stay with them too long, I will have to put you also in the mortuary. So, come back, awake. This is basically what happens. This is basically what happened. That is why I always say that. I tell pastors, I keep telling it, don't worry about church growth. Let God add numbers. Let God add. Unbelievers can come. But always know they are unbelievers. Be very polite to them. Be very polite to them. Very kind to them. Create an ambush. They want to love Christ. But don't ever think they are believers. Ever think they are. Don't make that mistake. They are believers. Because believers have life signs. So Peter, when he is writing this, his finest epistle, the most powerful epistle in the Bible to prepare a man in very few words for eternal judgment, how to be prepared and to be absolutely sure about what you can receive over there, he begins with this statement, I am writing to only those who have the same kind of faith, not some other faith. 
my kind of faith the faith that was had all the apostles had the faith jesus christ had the faith of god that kind of faith to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our god and savior jesus christ to you he says you know what there's something that you will understand as the knowledge of christ increases as you get to know the person two things gets multiplied in your life one grace multiplies how will you know grace is multiplied because proportionally peace will multiply peace that passes understanding your circumstances no longer matter it can be as worse as possible but because you are grace multiplying in grace there is peace there is peace you cannot have peace without grace okay so what is grace in the kingdom is money in the world okay in the world people's peace is directly proportional to their money because with money they know they can secure a whole lot of things in life that brings insecurity i don't have to worry about food i don't have to worry about clothes i don't have to worry about home i cannot have to worry about security the more money i have higher the best security so everything you can secure i don't have to worry about time i can i can go by the fastest mode possible everything money is bringing peace but it's a false peace so god will allow shakings to happen which money cannot handle then suddenly you will realize you know what money has its limits though it has uses it has its limits but grace has no limits grace doesn't know any limit so grace gives you a peace which the mind and the world cannot understand okay that's where the power of the book of philippians because ultimately when you go to chapter 4 and you read 1 and 2 and where this man is and what kind of condition he is and how he is able to strengthen and encourage people because sitting in that dungeon he is living out the life of christ and he says the peace of god is guarding my mind and my heart you see you can have peace in your heart without peace in your mind you can have peace in your mind without peace in your heart both are possibilities have peace in my heart why because ultimately i know when i die i will go to god so the peace in the heart peace with god but mind is worried about all the troubles that is happening taking place ultimately If I die, I know where will I go. So that peace is there. Okay. Then there is the other person who has peace in his mind. He's got everything under his control. But deep inside, he knows if I die today, I know I don't know where I will go. Okay. Now that is not what God is talking about. God is talking about having both. One is called the peace of God, and the other is called the peace, the peace with God, and the peace of God. The peace with God. I know. I am saved. nothing can unsave me i am saved i am not going to question my salvation anymore i will not allow the enemy to open the door of doubt and condemnation no i am saved but the question is how much saved am i is not whether i am saved or not i need to grow in my salvation that the situations are tested and what do you understand is as grace multiplies peace multiplies these are real things written in scripture how to evaluate your life you cannot have a trouble free life because then you do not know you are not being tested eternity when comes suddenly you will realize oh lord i prayed against every trial testing tribulation now here i am with nothing good these were the very things which you have showed me 
that I need to work on certain things. I need to work. So he says, grace and peace be multiplied to you. How? In the knowledge of God and of our Jesus, of Jesus, our Lord. It's a knowledge of God. If this way the question asks, what would God do in this situation? What would Christ do in this situation? What God would do in this Christ, in this situation has been revealed by Christ. That is why God says, heaven and earth will pass away, not a dot from my word. So you look into the word, so that is why Hebrews 11 is so important, because Hebrews 11 is a record of 19 named people and innumerable unnamed people. But each of them, a facet of faith is revealed through them. When this person went through this, how did he react by faith? Okay. You learned from Abel. How did this person, though nobody seemed to have been taken along with him, how did he manage to handle all these temporal, material, human hindrances and still learn to walk with God? What caused him to walk with God? How could a man consistently walk with God for 300 years? So everybody is a paradigm over there. Because these list of people in Hebrews 11 and in the Bible are teaching us various facets of faith. So when you put in, it's like a, it's, it's like a zigzag puzzle. When you put Abel and when you put uh, Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and all the people, you start getting a full picture of what the life of faith is. Ultimately, you look at the center. It is Jesus. That is the whole purpose. We are not gathering knowledge. We are gathering the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God, which is revealed through His Son, Jesus Christ. So you cannot circumvent this. Because what knowledge does, it it makes you proud. You start laughing at everybody. You start mocking everybody. You condemning everybody. But the knowledge of God is different. You are always fearful. Save others. How? Lest you also. You're always careful. So you're always compassionate, you know what? Boy, boy, if I was in your place, probably I would have gone down faster than you. It was the mercy of God that saved me. It's the grace of God that is keeping. So you're very, very conscious about this fact that the Bible says, what is that you have that you did not receive? Receive. This is where we have to be very, very... So grace and the knowledge of God. And when you go to verse 3, the way is written, 3 and 4, it is written over there. His divine power has given to us. Now that's the first thing. The thing is that it has been given to us. It is not that He will give. He will give. What will you give me for my birthday? I've already decided and bought it for you. Now you say, oh, you already bought. Yeah. So it is not that when my birthday comes three months later, you will say, daddy, daddy says, I'm sorry. I thought about it, but I don't have the money. Next birthday, a child is deaf. I have to wait for one more year. Because I've already owned it. Okay. That is how scripture works. By his stripes, we were healed. Isaiah says, you are healed. Peter says, you were healed. So we are not fighting for something God will give. He's given it. He says, how do you access it? By faith. You don't go to the ATM unless you have money in the bank. I'm going to the ATM for what? To try my ATM card. There's no money. Balance is minimum. But let me try if I can pull something. Nothing will come. Okay. So faith cannot appropriate anything that is not given. Faith cannot get out anything out of God which is not given. That is why it's so important to know what is the will of God. What is the will of God? No. What is the will of God? 
What is the will of God? Faith cannot. So faith understands what God has given. And the Bible says, His divine power. So power has to come. Okay, power has to come, no? Because, like I said, there is rupee, there is taka, and there is dollar. All have power. The power is not the same. Okay, so we are not talking about just power. It's divine power. That power is divine. It is from God. It's from another realm. All power is with Him. His divine power. What has it given to us? All things. What are all things? One that pertains to life. This life. This is a don't worry. Don't worry. He says, you know what? Two sparrows are sold for a farthing. Five sparrows for two. That means buy two, buy four, get one free. One free. Okay. Your father. Your father. Not their father. Your father. Not even one falls to the ground without your father knowing. That's how powerful is, how detailed is, how he cares for you. So God says, everything you need for life is already given. You have to get it by faith. And the second thing, godliness. The most important thing in eternity is godliness. Why? Because without godliness, you will not see God. Meaning, you will not perceive who God really is. So when it comes to eternity, because, let us say, a woman, I and Rebecca waited and waited and then Eliezer comes and she ready to leave and then she goes all the way to the promised land and Eliezer says, I forgot to tell you one thing. You can't see Isaac, he's invisible. So she's getting married. She's sitting in that chair and there is an empty chair there. Put your garland over there. And one garland comes on this side. How long will she live like that? You cannot see him. Without holiness, without godliness, no man will see God. So God talks about two things. The most two important things for every believer, those who are of faith, one, don't worry about this life. He's already given to it. And godliness, he's already given to it. How do you appropriate this both, this, both these things? By faith. Faith. And then he comes to the fourth verse and he says, what does faith latch on? Faith latches on this, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. God has promised. So there are promises in the Bible. That is what faith. Whose promise is this? His promise, divine power. It will come to pass because he's the one who promised. He's faithful. Promises. What happens? So you have to get it very right because promises is a blank word. It's a very dangerous word. What happens when you, by true faith, partake of these promises? One thing happens. In this world, you will partake of his divine nature. That is the godliness. You will start partaking more and more of his divine nature. On the other hand, in this temporal material world you are living, you escape. What? The corruption. Atrophy does not set in with you. You escape corruption. Not talking about your physical body, he's talking about your soul. 
talking about your soul. Your soul is being renewed. Your mind is being... Two things will happen. One, when it comes to eternity, you're partaking of the divine nature. You're becoming more like... That's what I said in the new covenant, unlike the old covenant, be holy as I'm holy and the whole book of Leviticus is given to us. Do this, do this, don't do this, do, 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 613, says the rabbis. The new covenant, Peter doesn't say anything. He says, be holy as I'm holy. What do you need to do? Drink the milk, eat the meat, partake of that life, and you will become like me. It is not a set of do this and don't do this anymore. That is gone altogether. You live by faith. And what does faith actually do? It partakes of the life of God. It's partaking literally of the life of God. His divine promises. You partake of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And in verse 5, verse 5, you know what? He comes back. Also for this very reason, now comes the actual teaching how to prepare for a glorious eternity. Eternity will be glorious. You may not be glorious. Eternity will be glorious because it is full of God's glory. But you may have nothing to reflect it. Okay? For this reason, with for this very reason, giving all diligence, now seven things are mentioned here. First is faith. That's where it all begins. Because this is written to only people who are believers. So be sure you are a believer. Faith. What should you add? Virtue. To virtue, knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. Self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. Godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. Seven things are mentioned over there. And remember the previous church, he said, your works are more now than before. So commendation. He says, not only do you focus on these seven things, if these things are first yours and above. The problem with Sardis is, it still remains, but it is not increasing. It is dying. That's the problem. In the previous church, a set of people, this was increasing. In the next church, these things are decreasing, are coming to the verge of dying. Okay? If these things are first yours, Two, they are growing. You are growing in these things. You are growing in virtue. You are growing in self-control. You are growing in perseverance. You are growing in brotherly kindness. You are growing in love. You are growing in all these things. What will happen? You will neither be barren nor unfruitful. Okay? Because it is to my Father's glory that you bear much. You will neither be barren nor unfruitful in what? In the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because your knowledge is no longer head knowledge. See, you can have head knowledge. But that doesn't mean you're growing in anything. Okay, head knowledge only makes your head big. But God says, you know what? You are growing in the person, in that image of Christ Jesus. And then if you come to verse 9, it is very powerful, this letters are. It fits in what God is trying to tell Sardis. For he who lacks these things, the Sardis lacks these things, is short-sighted. To blindness. That's why the first thing is awake. You have become blind. You have become first was short-sighted. You are only able to see the temporal. 
You are not able to see the eternal at all. You are only seeing the temporal. So you are so complex and nothing is wrong with us. Everybody loves us. Everybody cares for us. We face no trouble. Oh, we hear this report from Smyrna. You wonder what's wrong with them. Why are they going through all this? They should be like us. No trouble in this. So you become short-sighted. To the point of blindness. And has forgotten. So God will say, remember. Tells Ardis, remember what happened. He has forgotten what that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, what should you be diligent again to make your call and election sure? This is what is important. For if you do these things, continue doing things, you will never stumble. Where do you stumble? See, remember in that last fourth thing which Pastor Vijay uh, didn't have time to teach yesterday was doubt. It's when people doubt, they stumble. Peter was walking happily on the wall, and then he started slipping. And he started sinking. And Jesus said, why do you doubt? Why do you take your eyes off me and start looking at the waves? That's when he started sinking. Okay, that's the thing. So you will never stumble. You will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. So it's talking about eternity. Entrance and look at verse 12. Yeah, verse 12. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. This is what people appear. You know one thing? I know you know it, but I will keep on reminding you over and over until you are established. You know how difficult it is to establish into our own minds eternity? How difficult? I know I'm talking to you. It's not very easy. Okay, at night when you go to sleep, of course you are aware of it and you say, Lord, please. You are not saying, Lord, I am ready. You are saying, Lord, let me not die in my sleep. Because I am not ready. I am not ready. Okay, I am not ready. Because I am not ready not to die, but I am not ready to lose eternity. Okay, there's the two fears. There's a fear of death. That is not there. But the fear of loss is there. I don't want to lose. I want my full reward. I want my full reward. And I am not ready for that. Not ready for that. So Peter is saying this thing you see. Though you know are established in this present truth. And look at verse 13. Then you will understand. Yes, I think it is right. As long as I am in this tent to stir you up by reminding you. Why? Knowing that shortly I must put off my tent. So he did not die unawares. He says, I finished. I finished. I have established, I am ready to go, but I need to tell you all, be prepared. Let not that day catch you unawares. Because the one who promised all the rewards also will say, if you are not ready, I will come like a thief. I will come like a thief. You will not know what hour I come. So the believer, the fear is not of death. As he knows he crossed, believed in the Jesus Christ, he has crossed from death to eternal life. His fear should be unexpected death, unprepared death, unprepared death. 
and the only way you can die for a prepared death is by preparing every day mm-hmm. it's no other way you prepare you're constantly in preparation constantly in preparation because no longer death is a source of fear death is a source of joy you are preparing to go that is the ultimate joy when you will see him face to face and you are as he is the bible says so if you keep that in mind death and eternity in mind and actually read the bible it starts making sense starts making sense and that's what paul is talking about if only in this life you have hope remember hope is supposed to be connected with the other realm it's connected with the other realm the hope of glory is christ in you but if only in this life you have hope you are the most miserable of men pitiable that's a better word you should be pitied you should be pitied you should be pitied you know what he says that is not hope that is not hope okay because that hope will cause you to draw back that hope will cause you to recant Okay, women received their dead back to life. Others did not. They were offered that hope. They had said no. Why? They were believing for a better resurrection. Refused to be released. Others were tortured and refused to be released. It is not that they could not be released. They refused release. They said, "Reject Jesus, we'll release you." They said no. So they might gain a better resurrection. Okay, that is where we have to look at it, and that's how we have to look at what Sardis is talking about. Now we will have Peter, and we shall pray. So, what Pastor P. Vijay did not have time to finish the fourth one yesterday, I finished it today. Okay, to be established. No doubting, steadfast, unshakable, immovable, the Bible says, in faith, when it comes to your trust in God. Help us to keep our eyes on eternity, that the temporal will actually make sense, Lord. The world, the life we live on earth will make sense only if our eyes are on Jesus and on eternity. Then we will know what's happening. In the world, in our lives, the battles, the struggles, we will understand it all. Yes, Only there. Father, this morning we come to you, Lord. You are speaking to us. You are not speaking to Sardis that is long gone. You are not speaking to any other church. You are speaking to us. Let our reputation be false doesn't matter what reputation we have in the world. Help us to have a true reputation before you, O oh Lord. Jesus. Ultimately, the only thing that matters is what will you say? When we stand before you, what will you say? Nothing matters. Yes, Lord. Your husband says, your wife says, all that is good in this life. Children say, sheep say, People say, neighbors say, kings say, only thing that matters is, what do you say? Sardis was so comfortable. Yes, Lord. And they had a wake-up call. I know your works. 
have a reputation that you are alive but you are dead so awake strengthen those things that remain you are speaking to us awake We have heard, we have received, we have it all. Maybe doctrines. But it's just doctrines now. They ceased being our life. I pray, Father, we will take the word we heard yesterday and today seriously. 98 days left to the end of the year. set this 98 days apart and we can come back to that first love and come back to that true life not a reputation but a real life touch Lord touch 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 us touch us Lord because no one should die unprepared unexpectedly Peter knew he knew very shortly that time had come for him to put that tent his human body aside Paul knew that he had finished because you are not a father who will not warn his children. But the question is, do we have ears that hear Jesus. what the Spirit says? Oh, give us ears to hear, Lord. Jesus. Jesus. So Jesus. caught in the temporal. Yes, my God. Forgive Either us. the pressure forgive us, forgive us. Or the pleasure. So caught in the temporal. Oh, Jesus, help us, help us. Help us, help us. I pray, pray. Father, awaken us today. More and more and more. That that morning star may rise in our hearts. So we are able to see clearly who we are now in Christ Jesus. Where we stand before God, with God. Help us, Father. Help us, Lord. Help us. Help us. Pray that for all our dear ones. They are so much in the thick of the battle. Father, let them know. Yes. The battle itself is temporal. Yes, it's it temporary. Is. Yes, it is. What is coming for everyone is eternity. For Ace, it will come. For RG, it will come. For Keith, it will come. For NQ, it will come. For Brad, Cherry, all of them, all of us, it will come. And in the thick of the battle, they will not forget what is the battle for. It's not about anything that is temporal. It's about what is eternal. Yes, Lord. Yes, the King and the Kingdom. It's about the Kingdom. And when we pray, let it be from our heart. Thy name, not my name, my reputation. Thy name, Thy Kingdom, and Thy will. 
it's about that yes sad is sad name yes but it was not his name yes it was their name yes yes it was a false reputation yes yes Smyrna had a true reputation. They called them poor. God called them rich. Touch Lord. Yes, touch Lord. us. Lord. Touch 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 today. That each day we will learn to come to the end of ourselves so that you can love. Your name be magnified. Your kingdom comes. Your will is done in our lives. Help us Lord help us every power of darkness in the name of Jesus of Nazareth as it is written the house of David shall grow stronger and stronger and the house of Saul will grow weaker and weaker and there will be mayhem in the camps of the enemy yes yes the wicked if they don't repent will perish they will fall to the ground yes, the yes. wizards the witches yes. warlocks yes. masters whatever they can call themselves by yes. your spells your rituals will all fall to the ground if you go after god's people yes. like pharaoh did after israel you will perish all your power will be broken you will be, you will be destroyed by god god has given us the power to bind and to release We exercise that authority in the name of Jesus. We bind every power of darkness, every wicked way against God's people. We bind them in the name of Jesus. We command a release in God's people's lives. There will be a release. The siege will break. God will come through. His people will be still and see the deliverance of the Lord. We just thank you, Lord, for all that we have in Christ Jesus. Yes, Father. The victory we have yes, in Christ Jesus yes, over the powers of darkness, yes, over this world system. Yes, for our faith in you is our victory. Lord. Yes, it is our victory. We just thank you, Father. Yes, we just thank yes, you, thank, thank you, thank, thank you, thank, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. We just thank you. We praise you. We worship you, Lord. Once again, we stand in thy house and we proclaim, thine is the kingdom. kingdom. Power, power and, and the, the glory, glory forever, forever.